0: Dad bod history.
1: Welcome to this episode of Dad bod history. After our unplanned sabbatical of uh, all of May, we just like we're not doing anything in May. Did
2: we? Did we get paid for that time off? Well,
3: we don't. Do we get paid? Is somebody paying us? Yes. <laughs> Is somebody getting a paycheck? <laughs> I mean, I'm waiting on mine,
2: Eric. Somebody owes me a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> we, we might need another infusion of funding here soon, but uh, all right yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so
1: let's welcome back. Yeah, let's get paid. Uh, <laughs> mommy Um So yeah, welcome back. It's, uh, I don't know, how was is, how is the month off or month plus off? I mean, it, I would say for me, it wasn't really a month off because the reason at least I couldn't make any of the, the episodes is my life was so busy uh, during May. Um, we had to go to uh michigan and pennsylvania my family did i saw some family there uh which was really nice um but obviously that that took about a week or two and then we got home and uh, um my daughter's just finishing up you know second grade my son is finishing up pre-k and so we were trying to get all that stuff taken care
3: of it's just been go go go
2: your daughter's in second grade i I was about to chime in with that too that is shocking my son is in second grade well, third grade. She was the same in second grade. grade. She's in third or, grade. Yeah, he, he's in third yeah. grade now, too. I just, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. How about that? I know.
3: Time is a son of a gun, isn't it? it
2: Crazy. up
1: on you. Gosh, every, man. Every day feels like eternity, but then next thing you know, it, it's, you blink and you miss it because they say like, that the days are long and the years
3: are short. Oh, gosh.
2: Yeah. Now I'm it's, getting all. I know. That'll make you think,
3: right? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, I've got a uh, days are long, years are short story. Sure. So um, I, let's see, my wife and I graduated college. She graduated in 05. I graduated in 06. And we started our career in ministry at that time. Mm -hmm. And this was at a, a Lutheran church in California. And she ran the youth group and I was a teacher. And um, you know, you run in a youth group, you have a lot of great conversations with kids, and um, you know, get closer probably to those kids in that setting than you would in a in a classroom typically. So um, anyway, one of our all-time favorite uh kids from youth group got married. And some of the people who showed up were also in that class and in that youth group, and you know, we, we show up and and I'm 38, so we're there and talking with everybody and talking about our kids and all of that. And I don't know why I thought this, but I was expecting everybody to be 17 still. And yeah. it turns out time is a thing. <laughs> and it's been what, we've, we've been out of that situation since 2012, so it's been 10 years and all these, kids now are in their thirties and in their late twenties. And it just blew my mind. You know, they've got kids of their own, they're getting married, all of this stuff. So it was just kind of an eye opener that, you know, time just keeps going along, even despite what we think or what we, you know, look at. And, and I look at, you know, how long it's been since we graduated high school, how we graduated college, Eric, you've been in the game now. What? 15 years i just finished my 18th year 18 years that's a long time man time flies so
2: and it's just cool to look back on that i guess makes you feel old yeah i had uh, students uh graduating high school and stuff and um you know some of the teachers were showing me pictures of high school graduation of these kids who were fifth graders when i started at the school i'm at now and uh just get my mind blown, and then Amy, uh, my wife, sends me this uh, thing last night. It's this uh, album of our children—the first year we were here in California—and uh, it wasn't three kids; it was two.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And my daughter was not yet in kindergarten, and my son was, you know, like three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking at these pictures of these babies, and now I've got a daughter that's trying to wear. Outfits that my wife does not approve of, and she's talking back, and she's saying, "Stop it!" And, Ugh! And <laughs> it's just—I <laughs> looked at that picture last night, and my wife's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I don't know that I am. Like, I don't. This is not good for me to see this. This is frustrating."
1: Yeah, just it's so interesting that you have those markers, like you said, when you moved to California and that's a big marker and how much has changed since then, because in the midst of it, you don't think necessarily that that much has changed or the kids have grown up as much as they have. And then you look at those pictures like, oh, my Lord, like, yeah like it's just unbelievable and I look Thankfully, at photos I've
2: still got my youthful glow none of that is fake. Is that no I mean you look younger than <laughs> ever
1: Is that why you <laughs> sent that random picture of, of me holding your daughter right after she was born cuz you're you're going down memory lane
2: Uh that was that was actually just a separate occurrence but okay it, it fits
3: Yeah Yeah oh my gosh And and speaking of that you know we're all old enough now where we look at photos, you know, our wedding photos or our college photos or something like that. And, you know, you look in a mirror and you don't feel like you look that different mm-hmm. until you look at one of those photos and it's, whoa, you know, I've, I've put some years on or I've got some great hair. About. I mean, Eric doesn't. I don't, I don't get talking. that. Eric,
1: Eric's the exception. He's <laughs> exactly. ben, Benjamin Button, just looking younger and younger. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I feel you, man. I, I totally I totally agree with that. It's even a year. Like I looked at photos of my kids from a year ago and I'm like, gosh, they mm-hmm. grew. Like, I don't yeah. think they're growing or they're getting more mature as, as, you know, as the days happen. But then I look back, I'm like, holy man, I like, got yeah. a whole other kid. Where did that kid go? And right. Where did this one come from? Like it shocks me.
3: So, yeah. Yeah. We're getting ready to, uh, navigate the teenage years pretty soon here with my oldest. So he's going to be 13 oh. in October. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, and you know, I showed you guys the the photo of his mohawk, which started <laughs> innocently. Awesome. You know, we just started. I, I, I've been cutting his hair ever since as, he was a baby. As close as I got, I I couldn't. Yeah, uh, that's I that's, that's really living on the edge there. Missed uh, opportunity. Dangerous. And uh, yeah, the the further and further I I kept going. I'm like, this looks really good, Wyatt. Should we should we stick with it? And he's like, yeah. So. Yeah he's got the Mohawk for at least the summer and he's been lifting with me. We got a, a little garage gym. He's been lifting with me a little bit. So we starting to like feel a little more confident and puffs himself up and then, Hey, feel my muscles, dad. And that plus the Mohawk bro, check it out. Check out my cut, bro. Exactly. First of all,
1: I'm your father.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going to start, you know,
2: punching me as he walks by <laughs> yeah. trying to intimidate me. I love that, that bro statement. Cause I get that from students once in a while. Yeah. Like they'll come in feeling like hot (laughs) stuff and they'll be like, sup bro. And I'll be like, excuse me, son. That's awesome. And and it's, I just love that because it's like the bro thing is we're equals the son is no sit down little boy. Yeah. Yeah. Use that a couple of times. There are not very many
3: people I know on planet Earth that can take wind out your sails better than Eric Hoffman can. That is that is one of your special talents, sir. What I love yeah. to do.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's your fruit of the spirit right there. So it I want
2: to. I want to tell this this short story, maybe out of context a little bit, but I was having a conversation. Um, <clears throat> over the past couple months, I have been giving serious consideration to not coaching basketball. Wow. That's huge. Mostly in my head. Just, and you're just going to go get behind
1: the booth, take that
2: big contract from ESPN. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. So I've just been like, okay, should I step away? Should I do something else? You know, what, how do I, um, my assistant coach, he, uh, he left, he he left our school. He took a, a call in Colorado I'm really excited for him. He's going to be at a really cool school. Um, but like he and I worked as a really good team. That, that kind of bums me out. But um, so then I thought, okay, do I want to continue with basketball? Do I want to say, hey, this is a good opportunity for me to step away. So then I'm having a conversation with someone at the school and they're talking about the group of boys who are incoming to junior high. Sure. And, uh, you know, I keep hearing this one, you know, struts around like this, this one has this kind of attitude. This one thinks he's God's gift to basketball. And I'm sitting in this meeting, listening to this. And I text a guy who's in the meeting with me, who's one of the junior high teachers. And I basically text him. I just decided to coach basketball again because I'm going to break those boys. (laughs) That's a perfect content. Denzel Washington
1: um, from Remember the Titans. Yeah.
0: Bobby Knight.
2: Like I just got a little bit perfect in
3: every aspect
0: of the game.
2: Hearing that, just thinking like knowing that uh, every time sixth graders come in, they've spent fifth and sixth grade, like clobbering everybody with their talent. And then they come into junior high and you have to play team ball. Like I just, I relish that opportunity to take boys coming in and be like, just so you know, it's no longer how it's always been. It's different here. And you're going to learn. And I'm going to knock you down. A yeah. and, and we'll get you there. But I got to knock you down. And Welcome of course, to the meat grinder. Jake, I sent you the uh, the picture of in my classroom. We were watching uh, Surviving the Cut.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the last days of school, like Marine yeah. Recod or something. Sweet. And I, a couple of the boys that I coach this year, I said, "Hey, come here, come here." And they came up to my podium. They're like, "What's up?" And I'm like, "You seeing this?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "This is basketball next year." And they're like, "You see them deflate?" And they're like, "Oh gosh, I knew it." Like, I'm just gonna get the hose out and spray them in the face while they pick up their clothes, you know, their extra jerseys and stuff. It's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> Do up downs while you spray them with the hose. Yes. Two a.m. out in the mud in the field
1: it'll be great builds Ah, the way basketball was meant to be played
2: in a muddy field
1: (laughs) james naismith invented that peach basket game it's like we need to do this in the mud (laughs) exactly
2: so anyways
3: that was a that was perfect context of that story well done
2: I like how your inspiration
1: for playing or coaching basketball is, I'm going to break these kids. Yeah.
3: Not molding young minds, yeah.
1: but
2: breaking souls. He's going, can't. He's
1: going full Ivan Drago yeah. with this.
2: You can't, you can't mold anything new until you've broken what's there, right? Mm-hmm. Break it down and build it back up. Yeah. No, I got I'll you, let man. high school build them back up. I'm just sure. going to break
1: them. I'm just going to break
2: <laughs> you and send you on your way. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> All right. Good stuff, man. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what happens with the basketball team this year. It's
2: going to be I, awesome.
1: <laughs> I'm more aware of what goes on with your middle school basketball team than I actually am with any professional or
3: college team.
1: And frankly, the stories are far more compelling oh, yeah. when you tell us what happens Oh, at the yeah. yeah. The or-
3: behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm
1: they're they're not making grades are they going to be able to play next week i mean there's a lot of drama that happens there yeah so thursday night lights or something yeah or something Uh, so real quick i want to share this with you because it's fascinating so part of this uh trip when we went to um visit my wife's family in um may is we were actually able to go through a bunch of old documents that her grandmother had had um And uh, one of them we found was this card. And on it, you can see, I don't know if you can see it, but it's got uh, the American flag on one side and the Hungarian flag on the other. You open it up and within that card is a photograph and I'll read it to you. It says, Francis Joseph I, King of Hungary and Emperor of Austria with Archduke Francis Joseph Otto, son of the Crown Prince. This is from September 15th, 1914. And inside the card itself, uh, it shows a photo of uh, the Royal Palace in Budapest, Hungary. And it says, best thanks to the Hungarian children for your kind Christmas presents. We have made many little ones happy with them. God bless you. Xmas, 1914. And it's got like a stamp signature. I believe... um, I don't know if it's a France Joseph, but it's someone from the Hungarian Empire. Eric, as you know, what was going on in 1914?
2: Well, the war had begun by the time that letter was written.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I. So this so is over hundred was... years old
2: Christmas card
1: from the Austro-Hungarian Emperor thanking, thanking whoever sent some gift to the Hungarian children for Christmas.
3: Uh,
2: she said that was an Austrian flag and a Hungarian flag american flag and a hungarian flag can i see the flag i sorry i want to see the flag again because
1: i don't know and i can take a photo of it and send it to you but can you see it
3: that's yeah you can see it a little bit so america what's really
2: interesting is that that is the hungarian not the austro-hungarian yeah and
1: it's very clear when in the from the hungarian children and it shows budapest hungary not vienna austria so this is hungarian specific not austrian specific but
2: that is the austro-hungarian
1: emperor yeah that's the emperor and it clarifies king of hungary and emperor of austria isn't that wild that's that's fascinating well and it's interesting because at the onset of the war america was neutral right so it's not totally surprising that American Hungarian Americans would be sending, and I don't know where this came from because, as far as I understand, nobody in my wife's family is Hungarian.
0: <laughs> so well, it's
1: interesting. I don't know where it came from. There's Czech, there's German, um, a lot of Europe, but as far as I know, not Hungarian.
3: So anyway, so there's there's no story to go along with that. Like this was acquired from person X, you know, four generations back. It was just there in a pile of stuff
1: some yeah it was in a pile of documents that we were just kind of looking through um, interesting yeah and it's like i just thought it was the coolest thing i'd ever
2: seen so yeah. i wanted to share it with you guys because it's Jesus. fascinating because my mom emailed me a few weeks ago or a week ago and sent me a text and said oh by the way you're not french <laughs> you're Corsican. It's just like you're actually part Italian. And I'm like, so I explains these it these DNA websites they do, they I guess recalibrate. I don't know. Um, but my dad was certain that his mother was French, her last name was De Beauvoir, and uh and so they assumed French, but that French has been removed from my father's set of DNA. And um so there's England and Northwestern Europe. I still think that's France. Or no, was it under my mother's? Yeah, my mother is now part northern Italy. I'm 1% northern Italian. And so the other day I did this to my wife, and she said, da, Oh, that's oh. so <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know why I did that. Ah, your um, genetics are speaking. <laughs> so it's just, it's wacky. That season. red wine
3: in your glass yeah, that you're know, swishing you're really
2: around, well. Eric. <laughs> yeah, my <gelada>. <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, it's just like, and it breaks it down for my dad. His parent one and parent two, they're different percentages. It's just kind of wild. Some Eastern Europe and Russia, apparently. Uh-oh. I guess I have to swear I don't allegiance think you're going to get saying I think you're okay. I, yeah. Well, they're definitely not going to take my yacht. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you're talking about this results because my wife she got um, a DNA test, and she is very good at tracking her family's ancestry, and so she knows generations and generations back on both her mom and dad's side. what she is, and her dad is Irish. And then, so she, my wife should be about 50% Irish because he's 100%. And so she got her results back and there's some Irish in there, there's some English, but then it's like a third Norwegian and Scandinavian. And she's like, there's nobody in my family that's from that part of Europe. And I go, well, the Vikings did have a habit of raiding and pillaging um, the British Isles. So it's not out of the realm that... Yeah, your dad's family is from Ireland, but that when the Vikings invaded and settled those parts of the world, is that they intermixed with the people there.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't I know my family has no losers in it because there's no Mongolian blood in there. So. Yeah, yeah. They never they, lost to the
1: Mongols yeah, oh, or the Huns. Well, I mean, it's not like the Mongols are like, you know, I don't even know if they made it to Italy. I don't think they did. No. Well, the Huns did.
2: Yeah. Anyways, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. It makes Does me kind of me.
1: suspect, those because... I, thi- I think like, it's like, still... No,
2: not French. You're Italian.
1: Yeah. You're Italian, no.
3: It I just makes me wonder, 10 years from now, you know, is that going to be revised again and again and again? Probably.
2: It's just you 1984. Know? It's just You better really not get too attached to it. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. you're actually turkey-ish. <laughs> know they rebranded.
1: <laughs> But it's interesting because my wife, she's done a lot of research in how they do the DNA tests, and she says, basically, the more people that take the tests, the more accurate the results get, and mm -hmm. specifically, the more that men take the test, um, because it's somehow it's easier to track through the Y chromosome. (laughs) The patriarchy. Okay, settle down.
2: Actually, that's, that's actually the reason, right? The patriarchy, Yeah, <laughs> literally.
1: Yeah. That's exactly why. Well, it's something with the Y chromosome. <laughs> track. I don't know. I'm not going to get into your woke Ben Shapiro stuff. So, um, but it's interesting because you can track those traits easier through the male side. So the more that men take these tests, the more refined they can get with the results. And so, but it's also just, right. Like, cause where I was like, "Well, I'm this because this is what my parents told me." And it's yeah. like, "Well, yeah. maybe you weren't, and maybe your parents didn't have the full story."
3: So, without without giving me a big um, genetics lesson, give me the the high level understanding of how can they take a drop of blood and understand your family lineage in such a way because to me that would be more of like a records you know looking back at the at the
2: records and ellis island and so on and so forth jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) so my understanding they mix it with frog dna and then they
3: yeah (laughs) It's genetic, all about that amber that got
2: yeah, trapped. Yeah. gotta first they they put you in a room full of mosquitoes and they let them <laughs> they your blood and they they put them in maple syrup. I
1: hope none of our viewers, <laughs> all twenty-seven dozen of you, are
3: geneticists
2: so, that are just pulling it, your hair out right now.
3: <laughs> this is why I'm asking for the from what you I know, understand. Give me the fifth
2: grade version. There's certain genetic markers, and a marker yeah. I assume is certain like types of we'll see like dna is made of four different proteins so there's certain chains of genetic proteins within dna that show up more frequently in certain populations they've identified that like this is what we see in sub-saharan africa or in um like if you're an ashkenazi jew like we see this among these populations in Greece, wherever it is, there's certain markers. And so as people add to it and put their samples in and get the results, they identify certain markers yeah. within those samples. And so again, that's like very basic and not, I'm sure not accurate in some ways, but they're they're finding markers within the DNA that match up to markers from certain locations
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay and, and that which would stand to reason that it gets more and
3: more accurate as time goes by you know the the more samples they have the more accurate right those yeah tests so become.
2: americans are are we don't actually help right <laughs> with, with our samples because if i send my sample it's like where are you from originally you know, they have, but, but any population, things are moving so frequently, you know, uh, my, my grandmother, whose last name was De Beauvoir, they assumed was French. There's a possibility that she's actually, her family was a transplant from Italy mm-hmm. and just took a, a French name. So. Well, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it I shows mean, that those intermixings <clears throat> and those
1: population groups traveling a lot more mm-hmm. than I think. We ever really initially thought like we knew people migrated, we knew people groups migrated, um, either via you know following certain food or via conquest, whatever it was. But it looks like it's like, no, they were constantly intermixing and constantly changing. And 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 so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of assumptions on what your genetics you thought your genetics were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are kind of falling to the wayside you know when we see no these people groups were always moving and traveling
2: and, and meeting with other people groups and marrying and having kids and there was a map I saw on Facebook the other day that was uh you know gen- what it called genetic distance <clears throat> I don't know exactly what that is but it said genetic distance of Spain and Spanish people to all these people in Europe and they didn't include Portugal which was odd but like their gen- their uh, genetic, distance from morocco which is just south of spain was like 20 but like the rest of europe was like in the ones two threes like up to seven but morocco meaning there was wasn't like, a lot of mix from between spain no, no. and morocco right which is okay. odd because you should expect that there was not only because yeah. they're geographically close but also because the residents of morocco are descended from the moors who invaded and controlled Spain for many years? You'd expect that there would be some some mixing there, but there there isn't as much as huh. you would have expected. So, whereas like, like with England, yeah, the can, Vikings had been invading England and the Anglo Saxons they intermixed with the population. Well, not to mention like the Celts. We talk about the Celts; they're not yeah. they're not a genetic population. The Celts were a cultural population that spread culture. But yeah. the people in Ireland shared this culture with people in Spain at the yeah, time. The why Kelks. the French were yeah. called the Gauls because the Gauls were a type of Celtic. The Greeks encountered Celtic peoples. Um, like Alexander the Great encountered Celtic peoples
0: mm-hmm.
2: in what is now like Albania or something. But Spain's genetic distance is very small to Poland and Norway and Russia, much smaller than to Morocco. So it's a fascinating topic. I don't know enough about it. I'm I'm glad that you brought that
3: up, Eric, because I was about to ask. So obviously the difference between genetics and culture, um, you know, when I am thinking about this blood tests and everything, what if that differs from family traditions that you've, uh, undergone for years and years and years, you know, let's say that, you know, it's more you have German heritage. Exactly. And you've had this tradition for however many generations and then, Oh, just kidding. You're actually Spanish. So that would kind of be a bummer to have mm-hmm. to feel obligated, I guess, to, to change that well, tradition.
2: How do, you, how do you change a culture that you haven't participated in? Exactly. That, that's hard to do. But what I find really interesting about this whole topic is that American culture has no genetic marker or less than mm. any other culture in the world. Or it has all sure. the genetic
1: markers. Or all, yeah, it's that's an amalgam.
2: It's like, oh, I, I'm I'm an American. <clears throat> that means nothing genetically anymore because yeah. there's no other place in the world that has as many genetics and as many cultures brought into it
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's a good thing yeah. and i think there's also drawbacks to it but i i mean it's like i i the list of the list of groups on here uh england northwestern europe germanic europe sweden denmark ireland scotland eastern europe and russia <clears throat> norway finland Northern Italy still kind of blows my mind. Um, I mean, that's a lot of places. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's interesting, Cameron. As you brought up, is um, you know, is that like, let's say you thought you were German and then you found out you were uh, had some Spanish in there or Italian or, or whatever it is. Is that now, if you know this. It kind of gives you an opportunity to explore a part of your history that you didn't know you had. And I think Don't that's throw kind of away cool. the
2: lederhosen. We're not yeah, saying yeah, yeah, throw away yeah, the lederhosen. Yeah. Keep those. Yeah. We're still doing Oktoberfest. <laughs> like, but it kind of let's gives add something
3: else in. What is that yeah.
2: stopped somebody from doing Oktoberfest or St. Patrick's Day or Cinco, or Cinco de Mayo? De Mayo. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? I mean, I'm ready to adopt Juneteenth. If I get the day, well, I have the day off every year, but you know, like it's summer Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) (laughs) a bad example,
1: (laughs) but I I do think it's in that regards, it's kind of, it's a cool opportunity is that the more we learn about our genetics is that we can explore those portions of our past that we didn't even know existed. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool because, you know, a lot of people from Europe came over and, you know, they might, ancestors came from germany and france and england primarily in czechoslovakia but where i found my family in czechoslovakia like the town is right next to the austrian empire or the former austrian empire and so there's very good chance that i'm not as bohemian as i thought i was and that i'm probably got a little austrian in there um and my wife would like me to take a dna test to see see that and she wants me to do it for the kids too and I don't know if I will yet, but um,
2: you've always embraced that bohemian heritage of being the artist in the urban center. Yeah, but,
1: you know me. But yeah. now you're
2: just going to have to be an imperialist. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a shame. It's a shame that I'm going to have to change everything about me. But um, it, it's kind of interesting to to explore those portions of you know this previously unknown history
3: in a in a much different sense. And I don't let me. Um, hijack this conversation too much, but I'm I'm also thinking about climate too. When I moved from you know California in the mountains to Phoenix or, you know, having been grown having grown up in California in the mountains and the cold and that kind of thing to Phoenix, it was really, really weird. Um Christmas and Fourth of July in the city of Phoenix is just way different than what I grew up with. You know, you Mm -hmm. can wear shorts and a t-shirt on Christmas day and really 4th of July is kind of a bummer in Phoenix because it's too dang hot outside unless you've got a pool. So I don't know that that just makes me think about, you know, if you're celebrating a certain culture in a different part of the world, it makes it more difficult to do that because it looks very different just due to climate as well. And and you're almost forcing it in certain areas or at least it feels like that sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the, they're the same holidays, you know, they're Christmas and 4th of July, they're the same, but they, mm-hmm. they're expressed differently depending on where you grew up and where totally. you may live in later. Like, same thing in Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. It was cold and snowy on Christmas in Wisconsin and I moved to Phoenix. It's like, like if so it's, weird. If it snows, they think the world is ending <laughs> like it's yeah. it's totally it's totally different. But it's like what grew what I expected as a Christmas tradition just didn't happen in Phoenix mm-hmm. because it was just the climate was different. And so we did things different down. Still good. I still enjoyed it, but very weird. It was very it took a while to get
3: used to. Yeah, I'm still it, it, Christmas trees don't feel right in. In Phoenix because it's Mm -hmm. just too too warm outside. Yeah.
1: You know what? I unless you want to keep going on this genetic stuff, because we were going to talk about Washington, DC, Eric. Let's do
0: it.
1: Okay. (laughs) We can do that. Let's let's do an abrupt turn and talk about politics. (laughs) Talk about the nation's capital. Oh, inaudible. So Washington, DC, Eric. You had the opportunity to take your was it your eighth graders? Yeah. How was it? Was it nice?
2: Okay, so I've never been to D.C. And I've been on the East Coast quite a few times, but never to D.C. Okay. That was an experience. Like, first of all, being on a class trip. Jake, you've been on them. Cameron, Mm -hmm. you've been on class trips. I mean, you, you, you get the drill, right? Like, you're managing... Okay, it's different than a stressful environment. Well, it is, but it isn't. You know, basketball trips, you're just managing like a bunch of boys. This you're managing a bunch of boys and girls. That adds some complexity to it. Mm -hmm. Jake, Jake's attention just he just snapped to attention. So it's going to be a good story.
1: I've always thought of when we did these class trips, especially when it was a class trip where you were staying overnight somewhere, it was like herding cats. Like that's like, especially, yeah, I, especially pubescent yeah. middle school kids. It was yeah. like,
3: they were all over the place. What so What I mean, you're playing is a prevent defense. <laughs> you just don't want the absolute, <laughs> right. it's a bend, but don't break defense. Yeah. I, I am want going a catastrophe.
2: To, yes, but. So when you go to D.C., you're usually going with a company, like the company has arranged it all. And I don't want to speak poorly of these companies at all because they did a great job. Ours did awesome. But I'm pretty sure that D.C. as a city is nearly fully funded by these companies. I, every place we went, it was like the wheels had been greased for our group. You pull up to like Pentagon City Mall, which is a mall in Pentagon City, which is right next to the Pentagon. And you get off the bus and you're handed a voucher for a meal at one of the restaurants in the mall, in the food court. Just like, Mm -hmm. there's your choices of food. Go in. this mall is like filled with like a thousand eighth graders at any given moment, eating lunch and also, oh. Looks like eighth graders bring money with them on these trips. They're shopping, right? Yeah. But I, I think these companies have like they've got their their claws into DC more so than the NRA or Planned Parenthood. Like Congress doesn't have this no sway that these companies <laughs> yeah, have. They're not getting past these groups. But it was it was really cool, right? We get on the bus, we get on the airplane, we get there, and the company they have the bus waiting for us. We've got the same driver the whole time. We've got a tour guide. She's going to run the show. Me and the other two teachers are basically you make sure the kids don't do anything stupid and also make sure the kids are like know how to walk on sidewalks, which. You go to the right and you you try to not bunch up Mm -hmm. and God help me for as many kids I saw in D.C. wearing make America great hats. They could not stay to the right. Ironic. Right. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They kept, they kept drifting left. And I'm like, don't do that. You're a Trumper. Get to the right." Um, that was probably the biggest issue I had was just trying to like, Hey, we're on a sidewalk. I know it's 30 feet wide, but let's, let's stay to the right. Cause there's bikers. There's people that live here. They're trying to just stay to the right. Like it's not that hard. Um, it apparently was, but I mean, they keep you going. Like, 6:30 wake up call, 7 a.m. breakfast, 7:30 on the bus. We'll be back at 8, 8:30, or 9 p.m. that night. Mm-hmm. And it is did you have a stepometer, by the way? Do you have
3: any idea how much ground you covered on foot?
2: I mean, no, I mean, I have an Apple Watch, but it like I hit my workout goal every single day. Yeah. So um, like I was burning calories like crazy. Just everything out, is six miles away. In, in that town of what it was like, it was, you know, when we landed on Monday, it was already four or five o'clock. And the tour guide's like, and the kids are like, "Well, we've been traveling all day. We going to go back to the hotel, get in the pool. Thank the Lord. We ended up at a hotel that had no pool. So mm. happy. Um, but we, uh, we went to see the Pentagon and the Pentagon Memorial. And I think I texted you guys, I'm like, she tells the story of the first bench and the first bench it's here. It's facing this way. Cause it was on the plane and those benches face going this way. The benches of people in the building face this way. You see this bench, it says like, here are people that family that they were with on board the plane and you'll see their benches elsewhere. And also the benches on a line, it shows the year they were born. And I'm looking at this bench. <clears throat> I look at the year, it says 1998. Look back at the bench. Realize the attack happened in two thousand one. I'm like, this is a three year old. And I texted you guys. I'm like, I'm already first stop, but I'm and I've got tears. Like I'm not going to make it. Um, so it's also a really big building. Um, so then you know we went to a restaurant and all that stuff. Uh, we saw Gettysburg, and 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 then the other thing is. We're in, we're in Virginia and Maryland. Cameron, Jake, you know this because you grew up in, or you you lived in Arizona. If you, if you don't build something, the default color of any piece of land is brown or dead weed color. Mm-hmm. The default color in Virginia or Maryland is green. You have to pour concrete or it will be green. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it doesn't stop. And it's amazing. My impression of that whole area
3: and just how thick it is heavily wooded. It is. It's like, if you hit a golf ball from position X into some trees, like a hundred yards back there, You could hire a hundred people to search for ten days, and you're never going to find that golf ball. Yeah, and just because it's so bodies
2: are buried. Yeah, but um, gosh, it was. We actually went into DC, and that first day, we we drove by the Pentagon, we stopped there, and then we're driving. We just drive kind of through DC uh, to Mm -hmm. go into our hotel in Maryland, and I see the Washington Monument, and I'm just like, that's a that's a large structure. And then you see like the Jefferson, Memorial, you start to see these memorials and you're like, you see them and there's this kind of sense about them. I, I think there's a point at which I can get very nihilistic about our form of government and our country and it's not a good place and it has all these problems. And then I see these structures and like these structures are... Or something special
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there's a point at which i got in the trip where i i found the word for it and it's a sense of permanence like when when you look at the washington monument that thing isn't mortared together it's just limestone blocks stacked on each other really it's freestanding i didn't know that wow well and then i chose to go in the elevator and go to the top so It's it's amazing. And then you get to these other buildings, uh, the federal buildings kind of around the National Mall. They're just. They're permanent, like these buildings are not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. These are not like 50 to 60 year old, like 50 to 60 years of of like commercial square footage that'll be torn down and something like these buildings are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking like the Woodrow Wilson Plaza or the Ronald Reagan International Trade Center. Like these buildings are new, but they're permanent. Like they're staying, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you get the sense that like okay, these buildings are all they they stand for institutions that represent our our form of governance in this country. And it's meant to stand the test of time because I cannot imagine these buildings not representing representative democracy. Like if there's an actual coup and somebody takes over, that's not going to stand because nobody's going to rule from Capitol Hill as a fascist. Not successfully, anyways,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we got to go in the capitol. That's a crazy building, yeah, partially it because it it truly has not been updated to what it should be. Yeah. like most of the business happens in these buildings off to the side. that's where most of the office buildings are, <clears throat> as well as um we got to meet our representative, who's also the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, and my students were just. They were all like got a kick out of it. Here's somebody famous. They took selfies with him, and I I stepped aside and just started talking to his staffers. Of course, you was... did. <laughs> and and he had three staffers that were there with us. They're like 23 years old. That building is run by 20 year olds. Well. I, it, I'm not joking. Like, yes. The representatives are all in their 70s, 80s and 90s from no term limits, term limits. But the people that actually run the show are in their early 20s. And I asked the staffers, so what do you what do you do? Like, what's your what's your role? And the one staffer who was leading the tour is like, well, I lead tours, but I also do legislative work for Representative McCarthy. And the girl that was there, she said the same thing. The young woman, she's like, yeah, I do the same thing. I do legislative work. I write, I help write legislation and read it and all that kind of stuff. So these are like law students, typically. I mean, are they people with? I have no law degrees. Maybe how they they're they're graduates, so they're not interns. Okay. Okay. And then the the third guy. Um. So there's sorry, there's four people. A fourth guy was like taking pictures. That's what he did. He just Hmm. followed the congressman around and took pictures. But then this other guy said, So what do you do? And they both laughed, the other two laughed, and they said, He is his job is to keep the congressman on schedule. And that's why he's pacing back and forth right now. Because he has a vote on the House floor in like half an hour. And the congressman would rather just hang out with the students, they go do his job. And I've heard that of other Congress people as well from other people I talked to on class trips, like they enjoy this much more than actually doing their job because their job is irritating and stressful. And, but I mean, there's staffers everywhere and it's just a cool Mm -hmm. building. Um, There's just so many things that that we did and saw. Um, When we went to Arlington, there's a ton of walking, and for our last day there, the kids were spent. <clears throat> that's that's a hard place to really grasp the 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 enormity of the land and the sacrifice that's represented in all these stones. Um, we went up to the change of the guard, or went up to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, mm-hmm. and. We got there before any other groups did for that particular changing, which is every half hour. And so we sat there on the steps. And uh my my principal, who's been on the trip before, she said, You'll want to stand right here. And she pulled me to this to this corner of the step She's stand right here. She's don't move, just stay right there. And then, of course, someone, uh, the tour guide, she's like, Eric, do you hear that? And I said, What's that? And it was the uh, the caisson, which is the the cavalry unit that pulls the caisson, which is the old artillery wagons. That's what they haul caskets on. So she said, "Go run out there." I could hear it, and it was covered in black, which means it wasn't actually carrying anyone. But it was just kind of cool to see that that unit rolling by. So then we got, I got back into a position, and uh, they. At one point, the guard who was out there turned aside off the, the strip where they are, and he actually addressed a group that was filing in because they were being too loud. And it's like this they step out of line, which is startling enough. He's like, It is requested that all people maintain a level of like decor, whatever it was, respect and silence at the tomb. Mm. And then he stepped back in and kept walking, and that group got silent quick. And then, then the sergeant came out, and then the new uh, tomb guard came out behind him, and they did the change of the guard. And where I was standing, I was like eight feet from where they did the the, the inspection ceremony, where he looks over the rifle, and it, it was a it was a female tomb guard looks over the rifle, looks over a uniform. He actually redid her tie for her right there. Wow. Well. Because it wasn't dark, he pulled the tie and he like stuffed it back in. He tightened it like it was. It was something. Was that uh, the it,
3: coolest thing you saw? I mean, it's hard to hard to sum up. But to me, there's a, a lot of that cool would stuff. that was the biggest thing that that stuck out to you me. You
1: sent us a photo of her, and you said she was the first.
2: Was it Latino female? Yeah, female soldier, Hispanic female tomb guard. She yeah. got her badge apparently the day before. Mm-hmm. And that back in October, there had been an all female. Uh, uh, changing of the guard ceremony, which means the sergeant and both of the guards were female,
0: oh. mm-hmm.
2: which is is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was a cool the change of the guard was. Well, it's, cool. a, it's
1: a huge honor, right? To be
2: oh yeah, like it's not yeah. just interesting. Like it's a you big, train your big. whole life for that. <laughs> in in the so underneath the 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 place where we were are where is where their their barracks are or where they actually stay when they're on duty. Huh. And they have, there's a wall in there with all the names of all the tomb guards ever. Yeah. And some of them are redacted because they dishonored the tomb guard later on. So it's a huh. big deal. If you've ever seen the, uh, the U S army drill team, first of all, they all come from the third infantry Re- Re- regiment, which is like the old guard. And they have a drill team that we saw a couple nights earlier at Fort Meyer and they have the shiny rifles and they do all the crazy like maneuvers and tricks with the rifles Um, so the tomb guard is like the next step up from that, Mm -hmm. which is wild. Um, and walking around Arlington, the thing that's most, that's stuck with me the most, there's a lot of things to see, but every once in a while you would hear a faint gunshot, gunshot gunshot knowing that somebody there was a 21 gun salute somewhere at Arlington Mm -hmm. and I and I a couple times we're walking the students are talking I stopped and I said listen and you hear this just like they just finished a funeral ceremony And to know that that's actively going on when all these eighth graders are roaming around Arlington. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Was that the coolest thing you saw in DC? I mean, it was, there's so much stuff. Yeah. uh, But it was definitely one of those things that was on my, that was on my list. Yeah. Like this is something that I absolutely need to devote. Like my full attention to. We went to the Smithsonian, like the US History Museum. We went to the Air and Space Museum. That was cool. Like I stood in front of the Enola Gay. Like there it is. This thing yeah. dropped the bomb. It's mm-hmm. right here. I can touch it. That's pretty cool. The US History Museum has a lot of cool stuff. The Holocaust Museum is necessary to say the least. Yeah. Um, actually had a woman stop me in the holocaust museum and she's like excuse me are you a teacher and i said well yes i am and she said well what are what are teachers doing to to teach about the holocaust because i know here in washington i don't know what the standard like well hold up i'm not from washington <laughs> Like I'm from, I'm teaching California, but can you speak on behalf of all teachers, Eric, and what they're doing? <laughs> and so exactly. Like she, and so we just had this conversation. It turns out she's she's from like Chandler, Arizona, hmm. huh. and I'm like, oh, cool. how about that? Like, and so we just chatted. I just like here's what I do when I teach about the Holocaust, and here's kind of how I go about it. I wish I had, I wish I, I think I will devote more time to it, but the Holocaust Museum is fascinating because you start at the upper level and as you go you descend which i think is a pretty good uh metaphor for what the holocaust is it's a descent into something um hellish yeah but they have these these concrete walls that kind of come up to about chest level and they have a little sticker on they say you know what you know, you can look over this, but know that the, sc- the video screen you're going to see is graphic. Shocking. Yeah. So they have video screens everywhere showing things. But when you look over those walls, you're seeing horrific stuff. And I saw one of my students step up. He's a student that can sometimes be goofy and mess around. And, and the video, thankfully, wasn't. It was prisoners who had they had walked them to the bottom of a, a trench, a ditch. And then it was video of them being shot while in the ditch. You know, it's grainy, it's not high definition or anything, but it's still, to see somebody actually get shot, that's not Hollywood, that's not made for film, that's like just somebody actually being shot and killed. The speed at which the body actually falls to the ground. Like, there's no, like, laying on your back, saying your last words. It's just, it's just done. Um, there was another one that showed something I, it footage that I had never seen of what some of the doctors did. So mm-hmm. it's a, it, it was, it was absolutely worth the time. We, um, we didn't know if we'd be able to go, but we managed to, and I'm glad we did. It's one of those things that we had to preface for the students, like know that what you're walking into is, <clears throat> is like one of the worst things that's ever happened. And we need to understand this and trying to preface for that, it for them. So they understood, like, take your time, read through it. And, and it really does. It starts with like, you know, some of the first laws the Nazis passed and some of the literature they had on like, studies of of race right they said well here here are the european races here's the non-european races and here we how we've broken them down in the science where they measured sizes of nose and distance between eyes jawline like the nazis had an entire discipline for understanding racial differences Mm -hmm. and all it was all there and they also had their uh like how to determine if you were allowed to marry somebody or not, like what constituted an actual German citizen versus a full Jew versus all these different graphs, like in this, certain, it just, yeah. So, it's interesting. yeah. I, I was just going to say, it's, I think you said it
1: well, when you first said it is that the Holocaust museum is necessary. Um, it's not good. It's not enjoyable. Mm -mm. But it's necessary. Like, it's important for us to understand.
2: It's like watching what this was. You don't get red vines and popcorn. You just endure it. Mm -hmm. And it's well made. It it does what it's supposed to do. But it's not something you come out being like. I don't know. Glad. I'm glad I went through. Mm-hmm. but well and it's funny that you compared it to
1: hollywood and like stuff like that because we've seen schindler's list is an incredible movie we've seen other movies about world war ii or the holocaust and they're bad and, and, and i mean bad in the sense that they're they can be upsetting but watching that actual footage of those things that happened in those camps and um and if you've seen Triumph of the Will and, and, and any of that stuff, and it's like, man, this is so much worse than anything that Hollywood could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And I think we have these ideas of what war is like or what World War II specifically and the Holocaust are like. It's like, but it's so much worse than we could have possibly have thought. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just like you said, it's so final, <laughs> like watching yeah. these prisoners being put into a ditch and murdered and that's it. And then they get the next group and they just keep doing it over and over and over again.
3: And And I think when you put that side by side with all of the, you know, unbelievable pomp and circumstance and all of the um, excessiveness of the, you know, and not to say that it's not important and it's not great. And, you know, you go by the white house and you go by, um, The Lincoln Memorial and all of these great things like, oh my gosh, amazing things in history happened mm-hmm. here. But you put that side by side with something like the Holocaust Museum. It's just, it's a gut punch to think, yeah, this is a necessary thing. There's a time to celebrate the great things to celebrate, you know, what a great country this is, but mistakes have been made and ugly things have have happened so, yeah, I mean, you're really going through the gamut of emotions in a very short amount of time there. Yeah, so when when Eric's te- texting us like, yeah. you know, Eric's not a super emotional guy. And he's saying, yeah, I've got tears in my eyes and, and I'm, you know, 30 minutes
2: into this. It's like, yeah, that kind of happens. It's, you know, you see these buildings that are temples to... To democracy, to representative democracy, to the republic. Yeah. Which is why the permanence is so important. But you put all these other things in there too. You know, the Smithsonian, apparently, first of all, all those museums, they're absolutely free to go into. Right. The Smithsonian is free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's set up that way because so this guy, Smithson, I think he was Scottish or something. He had this fortune. He's like, I want, I want to make a place where people can go and learn for free. So he gave it to the he he gave it to like the US government. He said, You guys do this. He had never been to the United States.
0: He was no like, way. This this huh. is
2: the place that needs to do it, because this is the place that's gonna be the most free. And they wow. they put it there on the national mall. It's on either side. And at the at Dulles International, um, the the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial is really cool. Um, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial is really cool. I've, I have no idea what it it looked like until I got there because it's hidden mm-hmm. in the trees. Yeah, the Lincoln Memorial is humbling because of its size. And you walk up the steps and you see Lincoln there, but then on either side are his two, his inaugural speech and his Gettysburg Address. So I stood on the right side where Lincoln's left and read the entirety of his inaugural speech carved on the wall. Just like, if I'm here, I'm gonna read this thing. Because all these buildings, like I said, are this temple to the Republic. I want to take time to think about what that means, because if these aren't these aren't bureaucratic buildings, these are like the promises of liberty should be vested in these these structures. As much as we have failed, I don't know that there's a place that's going to have that to the extent that. It's laid down in the foundation of this city. And there's cool places to stand. Anywhere on the National Mall is just like Capitol Building, Lincoln Memorial, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. It's just like, whew. And then, of course, you throw in the mundane. Like, I think I sent you a picture of the White House, and there's like a budget truck out in front. Yeah, what, you're like, what, who's moving out? Yeah. I'm like, what's what's going on? but there's always things what, happening. What's right? so fascinating is
1: also when you were at the White House and you showed that protest that had been happening yeah. continuously for yeah. like 30 years. And it's like, I had no idea. The yeah. white tent, right? The white tent protest.
2: Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just called it that, right? You have the White House and the White Tent. I thought that yeah. was <clears throat> But it's just this random thing that I've never heard of that's
1: mm-hmm. just been going on. And it's like and that's part of Washington too. And like, that's what makes, yeah. you know, it's like, it's kind of this own, it's a literal embodiment to the first amendment. Yeah. Like it's a literal yeah. embodiment that's been happening <clears throat> continuously for decades to the it's right its to own
2: institution there. Yeah. And it was initially an anti-nuclear war protest. And if you go there, they have all these signs up, like, or all these other things that they kind of protest for and they add to the board things that I look at and I say, yeah, I'm on more of that other things. I'm like, no, I disagree with you there, but the people that were just sitting there having conversations with whoever wanted to talk. Yeah. I'm like this is, this is an interesting picture, right? You have the white house, the seat of executive power and uh, basically, a single individual saying, "I disagree with you," mm-hmm. and I can say what I want.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's wild. Like it's just, it's just so wild,
1: in the best way. That's what makes yeah. it it's so yeah. incredible. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So yeah, I mean, just I, the, I could just go the, into so much detail about everything, but I,
3: the the, juxtap- the juxtaposition of you know, life goes on around here, you know, there's killer traffic everywhere. And oh, you know, there's, you're in such a beautiful place with, you know, so much excess everywhere you look. And yet, you know, you go a couple blocks that way is, you know, some really rough areas too. Mm-hmm. So the the side-by-sideness of that is is pretty amazing. You know, you really do see the all yeah. the emotions you see the extremes it's a there's no place like it
0: so well, I, oh, oh go ahead, ahead.
1: I, I was just gonna say it's so interesting as you were talking about the, the memorials to the various presidents um and then you know to non-presidents like uh martin luther king and it's like it's interesting because the martin luther king memorial and on one hand and then on another hand you have the jefferson memorial and they come from two different worlds They're literally
2: across the tidal basin from each other. Right. And it's like, and it's so important to like, what's great
1: about democracy is that in our representative democracy that we have is like Jefferson was a man of his time and he wrote the declaration of independence is awesome. He has some really horrible flaws and things that he did as well. Martin Luther King was a man from the civil rights movement and you know, he was the next chapter in America becoming a more free and more representative nation. Um, and then you have, I think you said Woodrow Wilson Plaza, who's probably my one of my least favorite presidents. Um,
2: but it's not, it's important to- It's a literally a space between two larger federal buildings. Is it? Like this open area between them.
1: Yeah, but it's still important to be like, Yeah, he was a president. I don't think he was a good guy really at all, but he was one of our presidents. And it's important to, you know, and this is when we get into the tearing down statue stuff, but it's important to remember who these men and women Mm -hmm. were, good, bad or otherwise, Mm -hmm. and not try to erase that. And I think that's when you look at other ancient great civilizations, a lot of times um, Akhenaten of ancient Egypt. And when he tried to move the capital and like redo everything. And then he died. And then they, the priests and the leadership in Egypt tried to erase him. They erased all knowledge of him. And it's like, well, as much as they could. And I think it's important to not erase the blemishes from our history. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to worship them either, but like, it's important to remember. Yeah, we screwed up. We need to be better than we were. And I think Mm -hmm. America is, And fits and starts and kicking and screaming sometimes, but we are making those steps
2: forward. Yeah. So it's, you know, you bring up the blemishes. The Vietnam Memorial. Vietnam vets didn't like that. That's why there's two memorials. So one is a statue of three soldiers kind of carrying Mm -hmm. each other. That's the, the soldiers memorial. That's the one they wanted. The wall um, is supposed to look like a scar, mm. literally like gouged into the earth. So when I went there, I, I asked my mom, as I said, Hey, is there anyone I should look up on the wall? And so she sent me a name and, uh, it was, uh, I think Peter bone Wagner. And she said, it was a friend of my dad's. He played high school football with him. Um, they were friends in high school. So I found him on the wall, but he like at the highest point of the wall, uh, where it's the the tallest is where it was. So I couldn't get up there to, to get us uh rubbing. So I found my smallest student and one of my my taller students, and they just threw one on the other shoulder and got up there and and got that name for me for my dad. Hmm. Um like that, that's another one. Like It's big. It's a big wall.
3: What's the one, Eric and and Jake, too, you probably know it, where it was absolutely chilling to me. It's just a bunch of soldiers. The Korean War
2: Memorial. And they were just walking. On patrol. Yep.
3: Yeah, that was so cool.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Gosh, there's something I was going to add, Jake, when we were talking about some of those memorials. Um, I can't remember it
0: now it's a it's a
2: it's a good place to be sure and a lot of the locals I know probably take it for granted but Man, I I guess I appreciate it more now, having been there and seen it. You know, the history of what happened in some of those places is is kind of fascinating to me. It's not as fascinating as like. These are. We're putting our trust in something greater than ourselves. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And this is kind of a reminder of that. So yeah. There was that, something else, but I can't remember what I was gonna say.
1: I'm sure it'll come to us
2: the yeah. moment we log off. That's what's oh I'm sure, certain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an addendum to the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's and cool. it, at a certain, oh, at a certain point. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Eric. So we're driving by this building and I forget what, what it said on the building, but then I see a bunch of plaques. Again, this is a limestone building. Impressive in its own right. And I start reading the plaques on it. It's like the U S department of fisheries. (laughs) I'm just like, even that has like a place among these great structures like yeah. the department of fisheries building that structure's not going anywhere ever department of fisheries might move but that building is forever yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so i were uh one of the parents with us she's a pharmacist and we come up to this building and i look and i'm like oh it's the department of pharmaceuticals or something like that and she like hops at her she's like oh my gosh there it is like all right i mean something for something everyone, for everybody
1: that's great it's awesome the department of fisheries may move but that building is forever yep.
2: that's awesome quotable <laughs>
1: That's, that's cool, man. I like it. Yeah. Everything, everything is a place and there is a sense of permanence there.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. And there's food trucks everywhere (laughs) on the national mall. Let
3: me, let me ask you this, Eric. Um, so I went, I don't know in 2007, something like that, 2008, um, depending on who you listen to there's fences and gates and you know it's it's less accessible all these buildings than it has been ever before now i know you don't have anything to compare it to but did you get that sense that it was the security was super heightened or not
2: really um i mean pretty much every building we went into had a metal detector Um, and some sort of security, uh, the Capitol building, they had removed a lot of the fencing, Uh but we still had to go through security to get, we couldn't get onto, we could only get to certain parts around the structure before we had to be invited or go through security. Um, and you couldn't be on Pennsylvania Avenue. So the fencing is you're across the street from the White House rather than up to the fence now. Okay. Um, huh. and that may have been for a while. Um, so the Pentagon, when you're at the memorial, they're like, you're not allowed to film or take pictures here. You cannot have the Pentagon in the frame of your pictures when you're on site. Like if I'm across the street or I'm across the freeway or I'm on the freeway, like what are they gonna do? But if you're on once you're on their property, they're like, no. We'll come take your uh, phone. Um, uh, so I don't know. It didn't seem like people were on edge or they just, you know, they just had security for everything. Yeah.
3: And I, I understand there was a time where you could walk up to the Capitol steps, for instance. And I, like I said, went 15 years ago and you couldn't get anywhere near the Capitol. So I just, I'm curious as to how that's changed
2: over the years, but I
3: think I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I I don't I don't know how we could have approached because even where we were, we couldn't get on like the grassy area in front of the Capitol or behind the Capitol. I'm not sure which side is the front, but this may be hmm. naive, but I hope someday we can have a Washington D.C.
1: that. The president throws a party for everybody at his inauguration
2: and invites we've, you in. We've talked about this. When I'm yeah, president, Jake, Andrew this Jackson. Is what's going to happen? <laughs> I know. I
1: know. Just I'm this. idea commissioning
2: I, they, the largest wheel of cheese from Wisconsin. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Sharp it's just funny because,
1: cheese. but that's how it used to be. I in mean, Washington, D.C., for all its flaws, and America, for his, um, you know, for all its blemishes, the idea of Washington, D.C., when it was first conceived was it was like the people's city. Mm-hmm. And like you can go meet with the president and ask him for a job. And like <laughs> and like after a couple of assassinations, they started to tighten that up. But like yeah. this, this idea, like, no, this is the people city. And this is we want the people. To feel welcome here and. The security measures that they have are understandable and totally make sense in this world we live in. But it's like, man, there's some there is a novelty that's lost. Um, Mm -hmm. Understandably so, again, but it's like it would be nice if
2: we could kind of have that that sense of nostalgia back. I listen. I'm not sure what what year I need to run. <laughs> but uh I'd love to bring that back. But great. even if you but here's the thing,
1: even if you wanted to, Eric, and I know we're kind of going off track, even if you wanted to, Secret Service wouldn't let you.
2: It's not happening. If
1: you're yeah. like, let's open the gates, have a party on the South Lawn, oh, let's get the pool back, it'll be great. Secret Service, is like, absolutely not. We're gonna take you to Camp David
2: then. Like it would be it's so just, hold on, because the, the secret service man in the world. They wouldn't let you do that, though. The Secret Service is part of the Treasury Department, right? Are you you going to fire the Treasury Department? Is that an executive under the executive? Yeah, they nominate the Treasury Secretary. So I could just abolish the Secret Service for the day. (laughs) Like, you guys know, I'm sorry. You guys are without a job. See ya. Come back next week. It's party time. I I love this idea.
1: No, I do too. I think it's going to be great. I don't see any
2: problems with it. It's
3: going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We just took a really realistic turn in the last 30 seconds of this podcast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of mundanity in DC too. Like I said, the food trucks, they're everywhere because the National Mall, there's nowhere you can shop. So the food trucks are there. Right. And so, I got I got a like a Philly cheesesteak that wasn't that good. And I had a subpar ice cream, both overpriced. But
3: yeah. Do they just nice. park it on the mall there? Like where do they put the trucks?
2: They park it on the street that cuts across the mall. Okay. I'm not sure what, whatever street it is. Um, and the National Archives were cool too. I got to see the documents. Like the Declaration of Independence is nearly completely faded. Mm-hmm. It actually like bummed me out. But then there's the Constitution, four pages, um, the Bill of Rights. Got to see not the 1215 Magna Carta, but like the 1294 Magna Carta, which is like a reprint Mm -hmm. of the Magna Carta. That was pretty cool um, at the archives. How faded was Mm -hmm. that? Because, I mean. It wasn't nearly as faded. That's interesting. But you think the Declaration of Independence has basically been on display. The Magna mm. Carta was in a private collection for a long time. Mm. That's true. And it was one of like they, 300 or something.
3: If memory serves, you couldn't take a picture of any of those documents because the light damages. You just, the... You're
2: not allowed to. Before you go into the rotunda that has those items, yeah. they're like, there's no photography allowed in here. And there's guards posted right next to the document. So if you pull out your phone, they're like, put your phone away. Um, And even if you're not using a flash, they just, they don't want the risk of that. Um, So it's, I mean, it was pretty. Pretty cool to, to just you're in the presence of something that. Like I was standing over a document that Thomas Jefferson sat over. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Franklin, you know, and John Adams were just over this particular piece of paper. That's something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mount Vernon is also I like not to like whiplash over here, but Mount Vernon. (laughs) That's such a beautiful piece of property. Yeah, it is. To be there. Have you been there, Cameron? Yeah. Did you go to the uh, the memorial for the slaves? Yes, that was a nice little touch. That is, did they have the string? Refresh my memory. So when you walk out there, they have the the memorial that sticks up out of the ground. It says this is a memorial for the slaves who were at Mount Vernon. It was put here by like whoever, Um, but they have boxes of string or squares or rectangles out in the forest there. Cause they've done archeological surveys cool. and they've identified where the bodies are actually buried. I don't so they're recall marked that. off. They're marked off with these squares of string. So like here where this string is, is where this. You person, sent us a photo of person, that. And you, I think you said one of them, it was a child. Like yeah. It was, like it was very small and that's. Uh-huh. That's, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's humbling. It's upsetting. It's, you know, it's 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 right next to two larger ones. So you don't know if like at some point they made sure they buried parents. It's just, Mm. and then, you know, you're standing there at the mausoleum and you're like, there's a sarcophagus and inside is Washington. Yeah. It's right there. And there's so many times where I didn't take pictures Because I just wanted to like, soak it in, Mm -hmm. just see it and be like. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, I think that's something where you can take
1: that experience and you can contrast it with the tomb of the unknown soldier and the reverence and solemnity that they have there. And then Mm -hmm. you contrast it with these essentially unmarked graves of these enslaved people. And, and again, it's not that you're deifying or vilifying anyone or any Mm -hmm. person. But you're wrestling, you're literally wrestling with the concepts of, of the promises of America with some of the harsh realities yeah. that we've had to go through. And I think that's good. I think it's important that we do that. And I, it's awesome that our capital in that regard can 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 give you that
3: opportunity. Yeah, I was just going to say about Mount Vernon, you know, to Eric's point, it was a beautiful piece of property, but it was also kind of quaint you know the the quarters and the house itself if memory serves was kind of like it was a nice house yeah so it, was it, it wasn't my house exactly but, but it wasn't it, totally extravagant it was
2: seven it wasn't the white hundreds. like it exactly. was just it was for him and his family uh-huh. and um i was just shocked by the yeah. humbleness
3: of it You know, here's one of the greatest men in American history, you know, and it's a nice house, yes, on an absolutely beautiful piece of property. But you know, it kind of made me revere him more. Like he just kind of wanted to be left alone with his family on Mount Vernon.
2: He was apparently also a like a scientific farmer, right? So around the time that he was living there and farming. Uh, between like the war and when we became president before the war, um, he was constantly ordering books from England on their methods of gardening. Mm. And so he had his plantation, but he also had a private garden there where he was experimenting with different types of soils, different types of like plants, all this stuff, and how to grow things. And that's where he actually got into the dirt himself. And so this, uh, The stories are that he would, you know, wake up in the morning, get on his horse and ride around the plantation, check in on all the work that was being done, take some time at his own garden himself. And when he arrived back in the afternoon, ready to sit down to dinner, he would sit down to dinner and he'd be like surrounded by strange faces. Why? Because after his presidency, people simply showed up to want to see him. He had no idea who they were. So he'd sit down to dinner and there'd just be strangers around his table. And he'd be like, "Uh, I don't know who you are. Whoa. Yeah. And he just ate with them and said, hey, pull up a chair. Pull up a chair and yeah, there's a guest house and it wasn't going to turn people away, but people kind of took advantage of him in that way. Okay. Because they wanted to see George Washington. Yeah. Huh. There were so many moments on the trip where... Like the eighth graders were like, oh, that's cool. And they moved on. And I was like, I have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> and so with this one night we went to Fort Meyer, which is where the third infantry battalion is. The They do all the honor guard, stuff like that. And we were seeing their show called Twilight Tattoo, which is a big drill show. And you're walked into the place where they do it by soldiers. And they're in their, their dress uniforms. Mm-hmm. And so one of the eighth grade girls said something about the different things on, she's like, Oh, he had a lot of ribbons. I said, do you want to ask him? You can go back and ask him. She's like, I don't, I'm like, I'll go with you. So we go up I'm like, excuse me, can you tell me like, she's kind of curious about your ribbons. And so I'm like, and she didn't really have anything. I'm like, can you tell us about that ribbon? Like the, the rifle badge. And he's like, okay. So that, that means I earned a particular score. Um, uh, like, a score that achieves a level on my rifle so that's what that bench means i said it's your buddy here he has one for pistol does that mean he's better with the pistol than you and he's like no 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 no. i just haven't taken that test yet <laughs> and so they went And this
3: poor training. girl's just standing there while you're nerding out with these yeah, two soldiers and i'm like
2: can you tell us about these ones and these <laughs> ones and she's she thought it was really cool like she was so appreciative but like sure being she able did. to take a student and be like you asked a question let's go, let's go actually find out. Mm. And she was, she was, she thought it was pretty cool. I thought it, I was more into it, but you know, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> <You fun. were>? <laughs> <Shocker>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you don't need to address me. I know what all these mean. Talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I know those are United citation badges. I know you didn't earn those personally. What are these? Um, It was cool. It was just
0: Right. Yeah. I showed up that at 3:45 is...
2: a.m. on Monday morning to that bus with a big grin on my face. I got off the bus Friday, 10:45 p.m. Big grin on my face, like just I had a blast. That's
1: awesome, yeah. man. Dad. That's bought his pretty much field field your trip. mecca. Let's do
2: it. You know, all that be awesome. we could get one of these companies to just take us on a tour, just for free. You
3: know, and we'll, we'll no, mention their name free. on the show. Well, the way that maybe. you said that was like, yeah, yeah, I, I felt like you had some swag <laughs> or like some <laughs>
2: I don't, but maybe. I mean, we could sign up to go on one of these trips. Is what I'm saying. We could
3: open up our own business. So just for me, DC. you,
2: just me, you, Cameron, just the three of Jeff. us. Yeah, they probably like assign us to a group of eighth graders that was smaller. Like you have to go with them. Like we're these four <laughs> old these guys, four random men, <laughs> <laughs> just hanging out with a group of eighth so, graders. So. There, there, is That's not problematic. <laughs> there is something funny. There's something funny, though, because when we're at Gettysburg. They have Gettysburg bus tours. And I, I noticed a trend because I would look in some of these buses and I would see guys who were like in their 50s or 60s wearing a hat. And it was just a common theme. So then the bus pulls up to. Um, I think it's Seminary Ridge, where where the union held against Pickett's charge. And I look out the window and there's a group of like 20 people. There's a clear tour guide. And then there's like 18 guys, T-shirts or collared shirts, all short sleeve, all tucked in. Probably 15 pairs of New Balance shoes. Those are crew length socks, like the whole group, except for the one guy who managed to bring his wife along. Like it was these guys are eight hours a day on Saturdays in front of their TVs watching History Channel. These are those guys. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> it was, it was stereotypical to a T, except for the one wife who was probably like, "Why did I come with this guy? I should have just stayed <laughs> home." It was just so
1: funny. Cause my That's wife, awesome. as you were telling us when you were in Gettysburg and she's like, Oh, well tell him to do this or to go to this place. I'm like, geez, do you like, you want to call him? Like, <laughs> cause <laughs> she's, she's from it Pennsylvania. Was, she's been to Gettysburg many times. It she was loves it.
2: And oh the it problem with so- Gettysburg is that we're on a tour bus and it's taking us from place to place. Sure. And there's monuments literally every 25 feet, like a mm-hmm. different stone monument for a different group. Yeah. Um, being at big round top was really cool. I would have loved to spend more time there and go down to like devil's den. Um, I would have loved to like just gotten in my own car and gone from place to place myself and just would have taken two days, but just taken more time at sure. the battle site. But um let me ask you this eric was there
3: anything because for me i remember strangely the uh the mint um where they actually made money was pretty cool and and unexpectedly so was there anything that you stumbled upon that's like that was way better than i expected it to be
2: that's a really good question um I think the Franklin Delano Roosevelt mm. monument. That's a cool. I, well, I didn't know what to expect to begin with because I had no idea what it it was. But it's like something that you you walk through. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it takes you on a path through his first term, second term, third term, fourth term. And water figured prominently in that one. Right? So it's interesting. There's there's waterfalls in each term. Yeah, and the further you go, the louder the waterfalls get because the more turbulent his presidency gets. Yeah, and there's a part at which all these there's just this the blocks of stone that are used for the monument, there's a bunch of them like broken and like cracked, just kind of piled, and that's kind of to represent the war. Yeah, um, so I, I mean. None of it, I'd say the only thing I'd say that was kind of underwhelming was the Jefferson Memorial. It was, it was fine. Yeah. But it didn't, it didn't, it didn't have my attention like other things did. Yeah. It was a beautiful setting, but it is, yeah. it's nice. I think had I been there, I'm sure had I been there on my own without a bunch of students, cause they were kind of a little bit loud and, and that, that structure was kind of loud that day. I'm sure I would have appreciated it a little bit more, but it's, yeah. it's surprisingly small. Mm-hmm. Um.
3: But, what about you, Jake? Did you have anything that that was unexpectedly well great?
1: I've never been, so oh, hey, you still haven't. Hey, okay. No,
2: you haven't been yet. Have I haven't a been mindset. yet. Yeah, well, now that we're going to do
1: this dad bod trip together, I'm excited to. But no, yeah, if anyone wants to been. fund that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um, no, I have not been. I'd like to. Um, just hasn't been in the cards for me. My mom did. My mom went and. Very similar to you, Eric. She was like she was awestruck by the memorials. But um yeah.
0: Love to go somebody. We,
3: we need to do a, a dad bod sleepover pajama party. We need to do a dad bod DC trip.
2: Just get the same hotel room. We've done so, that before. So but yeah, it's interesting because two Cameron, birds, one
3: stone.
1: Cameron, yeah. listening to you and Eric talk about it has made me want to go more than ever i really have before because um it's just different you know when people are like well you need to go to dc and it's like do i like but i think when you hear eric and the reverie that you've had and like mm-hmm. oh and there was this cool thing and this cool thing and that cool thing mm-hmm. it's like yeah i can get into that and like me and my wife we go to whenever we're traveling we always try to find some historical thing to see um be it ruins or, or like a monument like the st louis arch we always try to do that and we get that same kind of historical reverie um mm-hmm. and so hearing that from you and from eric was kind of reminds me that i'm like yeah i do want to go to dc i want to see this stuff um because i think it would be special but yeah yeah so yeah we can we can all roll it into one i guess and dad bod sleepover slash do it dc trip that'll be great yes so um well thanks eric man that was awesome really it was awesome hearing you recount that like it's just kind of cool to to hear you share that experience i'm sure
2: there's a bunch of like i could go back and be like oh i forgot to say about this yeah i (laughs) i'm gonna cut (laughs) you off because
1: we'll be here until 2 a.m but um no that was awesome man that's really special and it's really special you got to share it with your students um which makes it all the better uh if you guys don't have anything else i'll I'll sign us out all right well i'm jake from dad history it's good to see you guys again after a month and uh we'll see you all next time have a great week guys